Hello, everybody. Did I do a good enough job, Michelle? Nailed it. All right. <laughs> well, we are here this week with uh, Michelle. Hello. And uh, Christina Julian. Um, and we're going to talk about her fabulous new book coming out called The Dating Vendor. Hello. Hi, girls. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> we are good. So this is exciting. This is your first book. It is. And, and it's coming out on the 22nd. It's just, how excited are you right now? I'm very excited. I think I have a, a mix of half panic, half excitement, but, but it, it's, it's a lot of excitement. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the book itself. Um, well, the book, it's a romantic comedy and it's, uh, it's kind of a rollicking traveling adventure. Uh, a woman, Samantha, who's kind of the lead character in the book, is on a kind of a mad dash quest to find true love. And she gets horribly lost along the way. Um, she's a little quirky, a little crazy. Some would say a hot mess um, of the high school. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she, she is just kind of trying to figure it out but messing up really along the way. So it's, it's definitely a comedy, kind of a dark black comedy, I guess you could call it. And she goes to a lot of fabulous places. She starts off, um, she's in, the book opens in kind of a shotgun wedding that also goes horribly awry. And uh, <laughs> she's raised in a very kind of devout Catholic upbringing. And it sort of has disastrous results on her relationships. And the marriage turns out to be very short-lived. And then the dating bender ensues. And she travels from, she kind of is escaping her family and her life. And, and she goes to Florida, Colorado, Manhattan. And then there's a big kind of showdown uh, in Rome at the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> I I picture a showdown in Rome and the Vatican being somewhat like um, the movie Eurotrip, where you end. <laughs> yeah, this is a very. <laughs> her trip to Rome is is definitely laden with trouble, and and she is definitely <laughs> at a, a kind of hot mess, very hot mess alert when she's in Rome, and and it just kind of unravels from there. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, so. sounds like a lot and of fun. It is, yeah, and there's a lot of um. She, she relies uh she she does drink a lot her and her gal pals uh, do throw back a lot of drinks over the course of the book um and she kind of starts off as a mad dog uh drinker <laughs> and then her tastes uh in men and wine and things do kind of get a little more refined over the course of of, of the book and and she kind of you know she has some figuring it out and growing up to do and and she does you know work hard at doing that <laughs> <laughs> so are there any real life um inspirations for this girls gotta ask right yeah it, it it is i you know i think that um i i was raised in a in a in a catholic household not a really strict uh devout catholic um upbringing but but i i was raised i call myself a recovering catholic um you know <laughs> So all of those kind of the cliches that you hear about Catholic and no sex before marriage and, and go to church all the time. But yet then, you know, kind of, uh, there's kind of a hypocritical side of that of Catholics are sometimes behaving badly. And so I, I grew up in that kind of, um, that kind of environment. And so I think the book, um, plays a little bit off of that, of, you know, what it's like to have that kind of upbringing and be sort of torn between, 
who you want to be and who your family wants you to be and how you kind of reconcile that stuff. And, um, and, and, and I did, I think I, in my twenties and even into my thirties, I, I was just trying to figure it out. And, and I was in a, you know, a mad quest to try to, how do I reconcile being on my own? And I, I kind of, my first jobs out of college were when the dot com sort of craze was happening before the boom, during the boom, after the boom. And it was a really kind of amazing and crazy time to be 20 and working. And um, and so that's definitely, there's a thread of that in the book because I think it was like, there was nothing quite like that experience. It was very manic and fun and mm -hmm. also very at the same time. So I think there's, you know, kind of kernels of what um, has happened to me in life are, you know, threaded throughout the book as, as well as kind of, you know, the lead character, Samantha, people ask, is that you? Is that you? And I'm like, I hope that that's not me because boy, <laughs> I'm a big, huge hot mess. And I would say I'm a mini hot mess, not a full blown hot mess, but <laughs> But, uh, but it's kind of an amalgamation of, of, you know, many me, friends, people I've met along the way. I, I lived in New York and Los Angeles for a time. And, and you know, it's just a, a feeding frenzy of interesting things and people and happening and dates. And just, you know, a lot of crazy things went down. And so some of those things make it into the book in a very heightened, you know, the stakes are raised much higher in the book than in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you never really want, I mean, sometimes with the characters that we write, and people are like, oh, is that you? Are you in there? And sometimes it's like, yeah, I created this hot mess. I don't want to be this hot mess. <laughs> My yeah. life really isn't this much of a mess. Right, 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 exactly. If I had all of the um, the hijinks and fun that Samantha had, I, I mean, I, I would have really had a super amazing life. So <laughs> kind of, of writing is you can kind of sort of take a small situation and just sort of I read something I can't remember where it was but but someone uh, uh, talked about how being a writer is a great thing that you can write the life that you want to live or that you wish you lived or that you wish you didn't live you know it's kind of your opportunity to become all the people you wish you could be but in real life you can't but you can write about it so mm -hmm. I think that I, I love that kind of philosophy and style of, uh, <laughs> of fiction writing. Absolutely. I think that, you know, the, the saying, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, and it's not anywhere close to what, it, what I'm about to say, but it's, you know, don't, don't piss off a writer because they'll kill you in their book or <laughs> something to that effect. It's like bad dates. Like you don't want, like, I think all guys should be aware that if they are an awful date or a bad date with a writer, they could end up in right, right. a romantic comedy Yes, yes. And have their bad dateness just expounded. Yes, yes, bad yes. dateness. Bad dateness. It's a thing. It's a thing. Okay. Fire beware. Dater beware. Yes, because in, in dating a writer, you are, you know, <laughs> it's all, Nora Ephron, I think, has a, a great quote that I always um, steal and post and tweet about all the time because I love it. Like, everything is copy. And I think that that's, you know, sort of a nice way of saying it's all sort of fair game um <laughs> and you know that going into it so <laughs> and then you marry writers and it's right, yeah the, the disclaimer continues right yeah. there is right. nothing sacred once you marry a writer <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> 
unfortunately. It only gets worse when you have to deal with uh, the undone dishes and piled up laundry when they're on a writing binge. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. It's <laughs> the writer, I, I imagine. My husband is an engineer and, and he's, he's the one that has to deal with living with me. <laughs> Yes, my husband, he has to deal with living with me, too, and he's, you know, I, I always hear, he's like, you know, after, like, a week, and he comes home, and he's like, so, babe, on another writing binge, are we? It's like, yeah, I'll take a break and do the dishes and the laundry, I swear. <laughs> no, when you're in the zone, you just have to stay in the zone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, one of the reasons why we wanted to have um Christina on the show is basically after I saw her um profile and stuff we realized she was basically um our long lost sister with, <laughs> <laughs> with all the with the with the book which is a really fun book which is something you know Michelle and I like to read and then also with the wine because before this and I'm assuming continually um you were a food and wine writer I am. Yes. Yes. I, I actually, I used to work in advertising and I moved, I just kind of had lived in all the big cities and I used to have a friend that I worked with in LA that uh, I worked with and she got really burnt out in LA and quit uh, her job and moved to the wine country to become a massage therapist. And I always was looking for an excuse to kind of get out of LA and do something. So I used to visit her all of the time. And mm -hmm. I ended up really just like, wow, I really kind of like it up here. Yeah, one day I'm gonna just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go live there, I think it seems like a great place to live. And, and at a certain point, I just was like, I'm kind of tired of the advertising scene, the wine country was calling. And so yeah, I, I quit my job. And I, I moved up here with the hope to start writing about wine. And and I met a, a really uh, kind of the son of a very well-known winemaker out here in Napa Valley was one of the very first people I, I ran just kind of by ran into by happenstance. And he's just a great, his name's Kirk Vengi and his, um, his dad was the first winemaker in Napa Valley to get a perfect hundred score for, um, from Robert Parker, uh, the wine enthusiast. And so his dad is very famous in the Valley and Kirk was kind of breaking out on his own and opening his own winery. And he knew that I was new in town and I wanted to learn about wine. And, and so he invited me to come work and harvest with him for a season. And it just kind of, you know, that's sort of how it all began. I just sort of fell in love with just the whole idea of, of wine and harvest. And, and I really kind of learned everything I learned. I learned on the tasting trail as, as he would like mm -hmm. to call it and um, <laughs> picking grapes and sampling them and testing them and, drinking the wine and, and kind of everything that goes with it. And, and because he was who he was and I um, got to write about my time working in the harvest and then about his winery. And, and that's really how I started writing about wine. And, and when you live out here and there's 400 plus wineries, it just, it all kind of snowballs. So <laughs> I yeah, would say I can't go wrong with that. No, no. You, so I definitely, I learned in the field and in, in every kind of sense of the word. <laughs> And that's good. And that's kind of the best way to learn something is, is, it is. doing it. Yeah. 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 And I feel like before I ever really started writing about wine, I definitely enjoyed wine and I was, you know, into food and into wine. Um, 
and and was just very always very curious about it but actually kind of working in the behind the scenes kind of process of all of it mm -hmm. I think it made writing about it just so much easier because I could write about it as a consumer and a drinker of wine lover of wine then I could also write about like kind of everything that goes along with it. So I think it was like, had I not done the whole harvest tour of duty, I think that, you know, my writing about wine would be a lot different just because, you know, with that experience, just the, the smell, like, I don't know if you guys have ever, you know, have been out here, but mm -hmm. during this time of year, harvest is starting right now. And it smells like crushed grapes. Like, you know, everyone talks about harvest, but it, it's, there's a smell and there's a certain part of Napa um, in Oakville where you drive through it um, in like September and October. And it's just this whiff of, of crushed grapes and there's nothing quite like oh, it. So love it. So now with that being said, what are you drinking? I'm drinking one of uh, my favorite wines, which is Kirk's wine, um, and it's called, I'll show it. I have a bottle up in here. Can you see that? It's uh, Vengi Vineyards, and that's in Calistoga, which is um, where I live, actually, also. And this wine, it's a, um, it's a red blend, and this is the wine I actually kind of sort of uh, picked as like a wine that I would say sort of goes with the dating bender, because it's a... Um, it's a hodgepodge wine. It's it's a red blend. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, a red blend, does that mean like a cheap wine or, you know, it's kind of, it doesn't know what it wants to be when it grows up, but it's really kind of quite the opposite. It is a, it has, it's a blend of Zinfandel, Petite Syrah, Charbonneau and um, Syrah. And it's, it's just, it's an amazing wine. It's just really, um, it's very structured and it's it's complicated on the one hand, but it's also just really uh, a very kind of fruit forward wine. And it's, it's, it's one moment you drink it, the next you drink it, 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 it tastes a little different as you continue to drink it. So it's, it's probably one of them. If I had to pick one of my favorite, favorite wines, um, mm -hmm. it, it would be one of them. That's interesting with the, um, with the blends like that. We have um, one of the authors that we're friends with, uh, Scott Wilbanks, talking about a wine in New Zealand. And Michelle, do you remember the name, what they call it? Um, well, um, come on, Scott. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they take basically like the leftovers of all the different types of wines and they put it together. And I want to say it's like slush, sludge, 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 <laughs> it's a sludge. I think I'm getting closer. Um, I don't know, I may have to follow up with them and find out. And they just, they take the leftovers of everything and then they bottle it up and then they, they sell that. Is yeah. that what, a, is a blend like that? I mean, it, it is a, a blend, but a lot of time, you know, like for, in this wine in particular, and, and it is the case of a lot of red wines is, it's a very deliberate blend. So, mm -hmm. you know, when Kirk is making this wine, he's looking at it and, and it's like each Zinfandel, for example, and Petite Syrah are two very different, wine varietals um, mm. are complementary to each other. So I think that there, there are red blends out there that are, are truly just sort of a, you know, what's left and let's kind of toss it all together approach. But then I think there's a red blend like this that is, is very much the winemakers kind of doing, you know, his version of a symphony and, and, and sort of taking the best, you know, grapes of the vineyard and the varietals that will kind of blend well together. And, you know, something uh, like Syrah 
could overpower, you know, the wine if, if it was all Syrah, um, which all, I love all Syrah myself and many people do, but, but, you know, he was going for kind of a subtle balance of like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but in a very deliberate way. So I think there are kind of the sludge uh, style, probably <laughs> red <laughs> wines. And, and then there's red blends that are, are truly just uh kind of the winemaker is really deliberately going for kind of a, a specific taste and, you know, heft in the wine or, or just kind of something in particular that they have in mind. And, and then they like to blend that all together. Hmm. I um, think it's, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, well, I'm drinking one of my favorites. I was going to just go into my wine, unless you had a question, Michelle. No, no. What's your favorite wine? I would love to uh, One of my favorites is Dark Horse. I'm, I'm really <laughs> fell in love with this wine. Um, they're out of, um, this one's out of California and they, I think they are technically out of, I've looked on their website, the website hits out Ontario, but I definitely think they're California wine and I'm really, I really like their wines. Um, the Pinot Noir is, uh, it's not too sweet cause I hate sweet wines, yeah, uh, yeah. but it's nice and light and, uh, it's got a really good flavor. And is it, is it a, um, it's a Pinot or what is it? Yeah, it's a Pinot Noir. Okay. Um, they're kind of a small winery, I think, because um, they only have, they just came out with a rosé, which I think is limited release. And then they've got um, Pinot Grigio, correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle. Don't they have a, I think they have a Chardonnay too. And then they have yeah, they do. They're always, we always get excited when we find the uh, different, different ones. We send each other text message, text messages, messages of pictures from wine racks and random yeah. stores. <laughs> and today, I found an entire wall of dark horse in the the food store that I was in. So it was a, an exciting moment for us. Yes, yeah. and what's funny is that she it was on sale for her for eight ninety nine, and I was like, oh man, that's a really great price. And it's like, it's a food store that's only in North Carolina, so I can't go get it. Uh, and then so today I stopped off at Target and I went and checked out the wine at Target and it was seven ninety nine on sale at, at Target. So I had to send her a picture. I would be like, I beat you. <laughs> That's a good deal. <laughs> it is. It is. And Michelle, how about you? Well, I was going to get Dark Horse, but, um, and I'm right now, usually when we first started Wine Women Awards, we were both in California. I was in San Diego and okay. Diana up in the Los Angeles area. Um, since then, I relocated to Chicago. And mm -hmm. right now, I'm in North Carolina in the Outer Banks. So, there's a whole lot of travel, and yeah, oh, the good thing about that is I get to see all kinds of wines that I've never seen before. And one of them is it's called Hero and Villain. It looks like this. Oh. And I bought it strictly because of the label, so <laughs> I had no idea what to expect. Um, I thought you, when you were describing your wine, Christina, I, you mentioned that it was a fruit forward wine, which I thought was a really interesting description because my knowledge of wine is good or bad. Like, that's how I know how to describe wine. Um, I would love to get to the level where I can describe it as, you know, the words that you always hear, like full-bodied or fruit-forward, you know, the, the words that people who know about wine know to use. Yes, teach us a wise one. But, <laughs> Well, and I have kind of a funny philosophy about this because when I, um, people do, 
which I guess is what people probably expect um, people in Napa Valley to do. But when you do go to parties out here, you know, wine is really as um, abundant at a party as water is, you know, everyone's always just pouring wine and, and pretty freely usually. Um, but they are also always kind of talking about it in very sort of high tech. Um, I, I think I wrote in an email like high tech wine geek speak is what I like to call it. And I, I feel like that sometimes there's a little too much of that, that people, you know, may be intimidated by some of that lingo because it's like, oh, what does all that mean? And, you know, so I feel like there's kind of like two schools of thought on um, on that of people that get very into like I was at a, a wine writer symposium. This was a couple of years ago. And someone um, was was just talking about a wine and that it tasted like um, mossy, wet pebbles after a rainstorm. You know, it was something like, wow, I... Why do you know what that tastes like? Exactly. And who would want to go taste that? So, right. So I think a, a lot of it, I mean, I always tell people that a lot of... Um, a lot of the terminology and things it is kind of very unique to the person. You know, sometimes someone might smell something and, you know, and, and everyone's very big on swirling. You have to swirl. And the whole point what, what, why do we swirl? The point of swirling is to, is to open up the nose of the wine. So by swirling it, you can get an aroma of the wine. So you're technically, you know, the technically correct way, but I, I would say there is no quick correct way to taste wine but you are supposed to swirl it because that will kind of get the juices flowing then you are you're supposed to sniff it um tip it and then just have your nose in there and by swirling it it kind of opens up the aroma so that you could say oh i smell blackberry or you know whatever it is that you may smell but what i found is that so if you try that like if you if you swirl it um and then you just you know tip it in you know, you it, it it sort of opens up. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> hey, Diana's dog sitting right now. So normally, normally she has two dogs who are very quiet, and right now she has five dogs. Yeah, I have two three-year-olds that could pass through the door at any moment. Although I've locked the door so that they cannot. But <laughs> yeah, I just shut the door on them. I don't know what they're barking at. Um, probably the neighbor. So. At first, I scolded them. I was like, ah, screw it. I pulled the dog here and barking. If I hear them scratching, maybe I'll let them back in. <laughs> now, as a disclaimer, I, Diana called me out on this before you joined us, Christina. These are not ice cubes. These are the little plastic things that you freeze and put in so you're not diluting it. Yes, yes. I totally forgot to put this in the, the refrigerator to chill it before we got home. Um, because we have, it's, oh, I'm doing a big family reunion, so much of my family has rented a house, and my mom and the kids and I are staying at a condo down the street, but this is dedication. We forgot the bottle of wine that I was going to drink for the show, and we drove back just to pick up a bottle of wine. That's very that impressive. That is dedication. I, that is awesome. I could, have, I could have had what we already had with us, but I really wanted this one. <laughs> Which one are you drinking? Is that the Dark Horse or that's? No, this is, it's a Pinot Grigio, the hero and villain one. Okay, that's the hero villain. And, and it is from it California also. Awesome. Now, California, is that the leading um, wine producer for the United States? 
Um, I, it, it's all kind of calculated in all different ways. I mean, Napa Valley is actually kind of the, one of the, um, physically smaller regions. Um, it's like a 32 mile strip is, is a very narrow 32 mile strip. So it, it all kind of depends on how you slice, you know, it can be sliced and diced a lot of different ways, but, but we definitely are one of the major wine regions in the United States, but I don't know that we're the biggest one. I should know that fact, but I <laughs> know it <laughs> for sure. So okay, so now I've got another tasting question for you. So I'm preparing for a trip to France, and um, that's basically just going to be a, a drunken week. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to flow through that vacation <laughs> on a sea of wine. Um, that, that's my plan. <laughs> so uh, I was watching a thing on it, and the person in France, they were talking about how you're supposed to actually taste the wine, and she was, like, basically chewing the wine. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, what you'll see some people do is, okay, after you swirl it, and if you want to sniff it, you sniff it, and then you'll see people that you taste it, and you do that. Some people then spit it back out afterwards, but by kind of keeping it in your mouth, I can't even describe what it is, but sort of like, it's like swishing it in your mouth, going like... And then tasting, you get the full, like it roll, it rolls over your tongue. So you, you get a kind of a more full taste of the wine. Like it kind of hits on the back palate of your mouth. Um, and people, when they're wine tasting, like the true sort of, you know, the people that are scoring wines and all of that, I mean, most of the time they're just, they're drinking and spitting and that's what they'll do. They'll take it and, mm, and then they'll spit it back out. But by doing that, you, you can actually taste you can taste the wine um, kind of more intensely than if you just, you know, drink it and then it goes back. Mm -hmm. So um, now with the spitting, um, is there a technical reason for that or they just don't want to get drunk? Right. It's usually they just don't want to get drunk because okay. it, it's some of these tastings. Um, I mean, they may in a, you know, a three hour period be tasting 70 wines. And so, mm -hmm there's just no way you could be drinking all of that. And so, so yeah, they will Challenge just really, accepted. <laughs> yeah, drink it, you know, mm, get the taste and then spit it back out and then move on to the next one. It's, it's kind of a, a fun and interesting and bizarre thing to actually see kind of one of those tastings going down because mm -hmm. really, you know, they're just like, mm, you know, onto the next, onto the next. And it, it is somewhat of an assembly line. And I, you know, and that's when you might hear the term like, palate fatigue like you know mm -hmm. sometimes people when they come out here they'll be like I'm gonna go to 10 wineries today and and it's after a certain point if you're not spitting you, you know three wineries in you're really not going to be able to taste the difference between any of them at that point because mm -hmm. you're you know if you're if you're truly drinking every full taste as you go you're you know you will have what they call palate fatigue <laughs> Which, <laughs> just what it sounds like your tongue is tired <laughs> so. The rest of you probably isn't that far behind either. Well, right. Yes, yes. It is a grueling. I, I'll say sometimes, oh, yeah, it's, it's a tough damn tasting trail today because it is. It can be hard work. And in France, you know, you'll have to pace yourself because it, it is. You do. You do. It's, it's just kind of, for some reason, physically tiring when you go wine tasting. Yes. Now I understand why I was looking at a tour because we're going, my sister lives over in the Alsace region. And... Oh. Yeah, so we're looking at doing the wine route there, and I was looking at the tours, and they only do like two wineries, three tops, and yeah, yeah. I was like, hmm, 
it doesn't seem like much, but now I know, okay, three is going to be. Yeah, three is good. Money. Yeah, three is actually probably a really good amount. When when people, yeah, when people come out and here visit, I, I recommend don't really do more than three. If you really, really want to push it four, but that fourth one, you're not really going to, you know, you're mm -hmm. going to, I don't think it's going to be totally accurate of what, what you're tasting is what you think you're tasting. That's just my personal, <laughs> uh, <laughs> personal opinion, but <laughs> No. So, oh. when you're there you know you want to do as much as you possibly can so it's hard to <laughs> exactly so where did in between i mean you mentioned you have two three-year-olds and then you do your food and wine writing where did the dating bender fit into your life while you were working on it yeah, it. I actually, when it, when I started out, I, I wasn't really, um, I didn't start out to write a book. I just was, I, at the time when I started it, I was living in LA and I had lived in New York prior to that. And I just was like, I just had some really over the top uh, dates where I just was like, this is crazy. Like someone, you know, like you couldn't make this up. Like I had this one day where I, uh, it was a friend of mine, a really well-intended friend's husband was like, oh, I've got the perfect guy for you. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, and it was, so anyway, it was this, uh, it was a setup and he, sh he, I'll just give you the very quick lowlights, but just to give you an example of like how the book kind of began, <laughs> he showed up in a limo. I lived in Venice beach and he showed up in a limo, which I guess in some ways might've been someone's dream come true. Prince charming sweeps in in a limo, but on a first date in Los Angeles, it was cause for pause because just like, Oh, you like, all right. And then he proceeded to, you know, whisk me to, you know, different places, which that was all fine. We went from Santa Monica to Hollywood. But every time we stopped somewhere, he would disappear for 20 minutes, half hour, whatever. He would come back in a completely different outfit. He was just like, exactly. The first time. He went on a date with Dress Up Ken. When he picked me up in the limo and he was wearing like this leopard shirt and silk pants. And I just was like, oh. Wait, 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 wait. leopard shirt and silk pants? Yeah, yeah. It was really just kind of bizarre look. And with the limo, you know, I thought I should have just not gotten in the limo. But because it was a friend, I sort of felt obligated, to, you know, to just see it through. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he proceeded to just change out, you know, change outfits throughout the course of the night. And it just kind of, it just went crazy crazier from there and so but that was just one of a sea of just kind of off the wall odd crazy scenarios so I just started I was like I just have to write these I some of the things were just so crazy I just was like I have to just write them down and so you know the longer I was in LA the more that these things I was like I gotta just write this down and then I just sort of was like I this is kind of shaping up to to be something and, and at the same time I also was uh I had written an essay about firing your family, the idea of like firing your family, you know, and if, you know, a family is just kind of not cooperating the way you would like them to cooperate, like, you know, you can, can you ever hand your family a pink slip was kind of like the premise of it. And, uh, <laughs> and those two sort of things, the sort of over the top crazy dating scene and just that premise of like, can you ever really fire your family? Um, and what would that mean if you did? 
sort of came together and 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 so I then I started sort of thinking oh I think this might be a book and um and so I I, I just kind of wrote it in bursts and pieces and then somewhere you know I I got a little sick of LA and I moved to Napa Valley um and I just continued to kind of I continued writing the book I had the twins I had uh the twins kind of in the middle of that so then it was on hiatus the book kind of <laughs> I had written it <laughs> you know, somewhat pretty quickly, but then it, it kind of went on the back burner for a while while the twins were happening. <laughs> oh my and goodness. Yeah. Twins. I mean, that's, I know Michelle, <laughs> I can see her like her, her face there. Cause I mean, twins, you've got double duty at the same yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Michelle's got a, you're, uh, yeah. You've got what? Three, Lily's three now and Landon's almost two. Oh. Yeah. And one of them is awake and has either deliberately or accidentally hit the volume button on the TV and I can hear it blaring in the other room. <laughs> yeah, to a two-year-old and a three-year-old, I mean, that's close to twins. I mean, just yeah. having their toddlers together, which is, um, yeah, so, yeah, so the book kind of, the, the book was happening in stages, but, but that was the premise of how it began, kind of like that sort of the, all the crazy sort of dating moments, and then that family kind of then you throw just sort of a dysfunctional family unit into the mix and watch it all explode. And, and that's kind of how the book, <laughs> the book became to be. And, and relatable too. Like, um, and forgive me, Michelle, you're going to hate me, but who's the author that you love all that you talk about all the time? Emily Giffen. The one that I'm not into. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something borrowed. Yes. Emily yeah. Giffen. I love her. It sounds very Emily Giffen. So I think if people like Emily Giffen, they're going to like your book. I think so. Yeah, because I think the characters are in her book and especially the something borrowed, like the two, the two um, women in the book are, you know, they're flawed. They're not, they're not perfect women. Um, and their friendship as women girlfriends is not perfect. And so I, I very much, um, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that my, my book, a fan of Emily Giffen would be a fan of my book. And I think because I, I really believe in writing kind of flawed, flawed characters. I love like Maria Simple is another one of my favorite authors because she just writes, I, I feel like real women, like real mm -hmm. women struggling in all the kind of gnarly glory that it is to be a woman you know it's an amazing thing it's a crazy thing and and so i i enjoy writing dysfunctional characters because i feel like that that's real you know we're all not fabulous all the time in fact you know i feel the opposite of fabulous most of the time and so <laughs> um so i you know i feel like in my writing i like to explore that that fact that you know relationships always don't go the way you want and female relationships aren't always great and family relationships are you know can be struggles at times and and i just feel like there's a lot i feel like there's a lot of humor in those scenarios too you know when things happen and then you look back on it and you're like wow that was crazy when it was happening but it's pretty funny it's pretty funny when you think about it so i i I enjoy the kind of finding the humor in the drama and chaos of life. Um, and, and in my book, that's, you know, a lot of what's in there is just, you know, there's a lot of funny in uh, life's just triumphs and tragedies. At least I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of, you know, I'll, I think an interesting thing that you say you like writing about flawed characters, especially today where everyone, you know, we're all on social media. We all post pictures and everything, but 
so I'm, you know, when I take pictures during the day, I take literally, maybe not literally, okay, we're good, uh, figuratively, a thousand pictures. And then at the end of the day, I like go through and I pick out the ones that I like best that are like the most perfect, and then I'll post those. So, you know, a lot of people are so, see like the perfect image of our lives on Facebook. And then when you get behind the surface, you see that things aren't so perfect. So writing about these flawed characters and reading about them, I think really helps people keep like a, it's like a reality check. Like it's not all perfect that what you see on, you know, on Facebook or wherever. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's what I hope people take away from the book is that, yeah, I mean, I think there are those amazing, the Facebook moments that when it is all just happening, all the stars are colliding in the in the right way. But then there's the days where they all just bomb and hit each other. And it's, you know, it all explodes. And, and so I think that it's, um, that it's, that I, hopefully people relate to that, that it's like, wow, I'm not the only one that, you know, did, does this crazy thing when such and such happens. Like, I hope that people, you know, kind of enjoy that aspect of things that it's, it's not all, it's not all rosy, uh, rose colored wine glasses, at least. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That, that date's pretty bad. I was. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, I'm, the worst I, date I that. So many books with these dates, I tell you. <laughs> The worst date that I ever went on was, it was a first date to a wedding, which was like, should have been, you know, <laughs> red flag number one. <laughs> and then he stopped at the mall. We stopped at the mall on the way back because uh, he wanted to pick something up. And I thought it was going to be a quick stop, like whatever. We were, oh, I lived right by the mall. And he went through the men's clothing section and said, oh, if you want me to try anything on, just let me know and I'll try it on for you. Oh boy. <laughs> and then, and I was still living at home at the time, and I really didn't want this guy to try to kiss me goodnight. So I texted my mom and I said, please open the door when you hear us come up. <laughs> like, like, kill the mood. <laughs> so she opened the door and she wasn't going to be rude. So she invited the guy in, and I thought he would be like, oh, you know, no, that's okay. But he was like, oh, sure, I'll come in. Oh. And then, he sat with us for two hours and watched the Grammys with us. Oh my god! Tell me about this date. Oh my god, it was so bad. That's it was crazy. awful. But he didn't do outfit changes mid-date. That's yeah, yeah. That's, that's worse. I had been married to my husband for so long that I barely remember dates that I went on before I met him because I was I was in college. I was I got married. And I was in my early twenties. Okay. And I find myself, as I hear everybody else's dating story, quoting Harry, when Harry met Sally to him, like, all the time, going, promise me, I'll never be single again. <laughs> promise me. Because <laughs> I hear this stuff, and I see this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I, don't, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this drama. I'll end up a hermit. Yeah, yeah. It's I know. I always would say like, please don't, don't make me go back out there. Please, please, no, no. <laughs> It's exhausting. The, the, just the thought of it is exhausting. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know. When I, I think about, I, I think about the single days, um, and and yeah, it was. I mean, there were definitely. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I lived in New York and I lived in LA, and they. I always say they're. 
they're the two kind of best and worst dating capitals in the country, I think, depending mm-hmm. on how you look at it and, mm-hmm. you know, who you're talking to. And I think there's, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, it, it was also, it was like a sport. It was just like, okay, got to get here, go there, do, you know, and it just, it was, it was, it was grueling at times. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's a field day for just crazy happenings and things to write about because uh, yeah, I could fill another book with just like, all the crazy, all the crazy, a lot of crazy. Lot <laughs> all the crazy. crazy. That's, how, that's how writers get their ideas. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you, Christina, so much for joining us. It was so much fun and educational. Um, I think Michelle and I now know how to better taste our wines. Um, so we can move beyond whether or not it's good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It was great fun. And I hope you guys enjoy your wine and rest of the night. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Bye. And congratulations Bye. on your on your book. We'll be sure to pick it up when it comes out. Yes, and you were mentioning that you have a book launch party. So yeah, there's a launch party uh, coming up next uh, Friday, a few days after the book comes out. And uh, yeah, and then I'm also there's a big literary festival in San Francisco in October called Litquake. And I'm oh. going to be uh, on a panel there that's about like catching, I think it's something like catching your first big break. So it's, it's a, a handful of debut authors all kind of telling our war stories of uh, <laughs> publication. It's right up there with the dating, uh, <laughs> the dating trench. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. All right. Well, thanks guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks. So this week, um, can't tell. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. See where the, I think there's a little hang up there up at the top. Well, you're welcome. If you want to hang out and listen to our conversation about our book of the month, you're welcome to. Yeah, I'm just. All right, I'll hang on until I. <laughs> <laughs> so that the toddlers don't hop on the call. <laughs> And my dogs have already run around and made a bunch of noise. And Michelle's toddlers have shown up. So it's all good. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. So um, fill us in on where you're at on The Fortune Teller. Yes. So as most of you know, and if I don't say something now, they'll never let me live it down. But for my cousins who could still be up watching this. They said they were going to put me on Apple TV on the big screen. <laughs> I just, my mom must still be awake and she heard my story about my bad date and she goes, did you say that I invited a total stranger in our home to watch TV with us? Yes, you definitely did because <laughs> you don't want to be rude to my awful date. Because person in the world and I can't see her being rude to really to anyone really I mean that's uh, it's something very much your mother could do because I mean it wouldn't necessarily be a perfect stranger because it's your date so I mean that's just fun for you so this month we're reading the fortune teller yes by Gwendolyn Womack yes and um, 
So I'm, I'm probably about like 100 pages away from being done, and I've definitely reached that point where you can't put the book down. Mm -hmm. um, this has coincided well with the return of uh, afternoon naps for Lily and Landon, Yay. so I've been able to actually read. Um, if I mean, I love this book for many reasons, mm -hmm. but one of the things that it has made me want to do is travel the world and see all the libraries in it. Mm -hmm. Because, and I want to go to this um, Bynek, Bynek uh library in... The you are, because you, you want to travel the world and see all of the uh, all of the libraries um, that's what you get out of the book um, yeah. me I'm like ooh, Egyptology stuff I'm gonna look at more of this stuff and study more of this stuff and you, you're like hey more libraries this is gonna be my bucket list well I mean okay the the tarot I had I had to uh, research one of the characters because I felt like you know when Histor when you're writing historical historical fiction, you can kind of sneak in some prominent historical figures in as like passing characters. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm at uh, Aisha's story where she's in Paris and she's playing the harp for the you know, high society woman who has all of her. Stop there. Right, let's stop there and just talk about Aisha for a moment. I love her. She's great. I do. I love. I love her grandmother. Yes, um, that too. I think it's really interesting uh, to watch how the cards have passed from one one person to another. And the first time was it? Um, I forget her name. the The first time that the cards left the family, mm -hmm. when the husband uh, traded them for room and board when his wife was about to have the baby. That whole scene when he was like offering them up, I was just standing there going, "No, <laughs> don't give the cards away." But his pregnant wife needed a place to give birth and rest and have shelter. And I mean, I think none of that. Where she would have said, "Okay, if it's between my kid or my future like great great granddaughter or what have you, to have a place a place of safety." Or the cards, what mother wouldn't choose a place of safety? But she didn't choose it. The husband chose it, and she knew she wasn't going to survive anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. You won that argument. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so. This is one of those books. This is for me, like the Da Vinci Code. This is one of those books that makes me want to obsess over libraries. Mm -hmm. um, Alexandria, well, that's a library, but Alexandria, and then Egyptology and the history of tarot. It makes, there's so many themes in this book that you just want to research all of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want someone to do a tarot reading for me. <laughs> right. Well, we're having a psychic on next week. Yes, next Saturday. Next Saturday. Special bonus episode. Yay! Bonus episode. And is she going to be doing a tarot reading for us, or is she just going to be doing well, a psychic thing? I think it's just going to be a chat. She doesn't do tarot cards. Um, she, she's a psychic, so she's more on the supernatural side of it yeah. versus the whole reading. Um, 
I think it's really interesting, though, that uh, according, you know, to the the history of the the playing cards, that they didn't start out as tarot cards. It was one man's interpretation of the cards, and that's how it launched into what they are today. So I thought that was really interesting that I always kind of figured they were cards that were made specifically for tarot tarot reading and, you know, reading people's futures. And it was just one man who thought that they held, you know, the divine knowledge of Egypt, which mm -hmm. is a little much to expect from a deck of cards. It is, it is. But it's still interesting. It's still fascinating. And I love that story, too, in Italy. Uh, I thought that was a really charming, sweet story. I love that she's spanning so much of history for it in it because now she's already in Paris right before the revolution, and they she mentions in passing the American Revolution. So you're in the 1700s when it started out in Alexandria mm -hmm. and Egypt and Cleopatra. Well, she does that, a lot. She did that with the memory painter as well. But it and she but she weaves it together so nicely and so well that it's not confusing. You're not sitting there going, wait, what just happened? Like where am I? Yeah, I love those these little interludes of the story where you get the you get the main story itself, what's going on with Simile, and then you've got the those text messages, which we are going to talk about in a moment. And you've got this backstory that's happening in the manuscript, and it just weaves so well that, okay, so for those of you who follow my Instagram, you will have seen the never-ending story reference <laughs> um, when, you know, where he's covered up in the blanket, and he's like, oh my god, reading this story. Now, Michelle, do you understand, for those of you who are at this point in the book, because, you know, mind you, we are reading up to page two, talking about up to page 250. So up to page 250, there will be spoilers if you have not read that far. That's the word. Okay, I'm not at page 250. I'm at page 220. 220, okay. All right, you said about 100 pages, so I assumed. All right, so let's see where you're at on 220. All right, so that I know not to spoil things for you since I'm already finished because this book is awesome. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So okay. I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, I see where you're at. So yeah, I love how they span in between and they interlude. And then with that reference to never ending story, there's a point There's a point where the, the manuscript, it doesn't just reach out to simile and talk to simile directly. It reaches out to you and talks to you directly, I feel like. Because when I read, there's one particular part in, this, in the um, manuscript in the Ona's manuscript where she she's talking to a simile and you're reading it like your simile basically and it's like you've got the manuscript in your hands and you're reading it like her and she she's like she does it's almost like this boo and because i don't want to give it too much away just in case somebody's listening who hasn't read it um she's like you know it's basically a boo kind of thing and for me when i was reading it i was i literally i jumped and i looked around like, it's almost like a, like a tap on the shoulder Huh? <laughs> what was that? It, it's like it's like a tap on the shoulder. That's... Yeah, yeah, exactly it. Oh. Sorry, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, and, okay, fantasy, who are we thinking for Kate? I don't know, because Kate's got to be, <sighs> here's the thing about Kate. I love Kate. He is a good guy. He is way too freaking good for Rena. I'm just going to say it. I love to hate <laughs> Rena. Absolutely love to hate her. But he's that good guy that you, you know, you're friends with. And he's always that good guy and always really nice. But then he's like, he's too nice. And he feel it feels like he's forever friend zoned uh, by girls. And then he finally gets this, you know, gorgeous girl. Because I'm assuming Rena's gorgeous. Especially since I am casting Kenzie from Lost Girl. Um, which her name is, I can't remember, is it Kenzia or... I can't remember what her real name is. Um, and um, she's beautiful, so she would make a perfect Rena. But, yeah, for Cape, I don't know yet. I'm trying to picture all the guys who have, play, who have been friend-zoned in movies and TV shows because awesome. he's definitely the guy who would be friend-zoned. Did you watch The Office? Because I didn't, and I'm hoping you did, because I can picture the guy, but I can't. Um, like, are you thinking of John Krasinski? That would work. Yeah. Yes, I am. That's who I was thinking of. Whoops, wrong office. Because um, he's definitely, for me, that he fits the idea of Kate, where he's just like the super nice guy. He's a little bit nerdy. Um, and I keep I put in the cave for IMDb. Um, but yeah, he I think that would fit <laughs> for Cave. And he's kind of got that cute nerdy thing. Yeah, John Krasinski. He's kind of got that nerd, cute nerd boy thing going for him. Or Zachary Levi from uh, Chuck and um, Rapunzel, even though he was a voice, obviously. Um, he would be another good one, too, where he could pull off that nerdy guy who you can just picture as your friend, totally your friend, and then, you know, still has that cute nerd, nerd boy thing going for him. Well, I have a feeling I'm definitely going to finish this book by next episode. Um, I might stay up and read it tonight since <laughs> I'm already up and it's past midnight. Might as well. Yeah, so I'm not done talking about Cave, though. Um, but, on him? Because you haven't really given me your thoughts on him. Okay. I, I don't know how large of a role he's going to play in the rest of the book. I really like him. I hope he plays a larger part. Um, the text messages from VS, whoever the hell VS is, to and from, it's to, it's to and from VS. And the whole time... I'm thinking uh, it's someone who is helping, and then you reach a point, and I mean, it, they could still be someone helping her, but I'm starting to think that these are people who are working against her, because they start talking about, oh, it's coming back. Theo is another huge question mark, and I don't really know if I like him very much. And you know things, and I know you know things, and I know you want to say things. I know I want to say things, but I'm putting a book in my mouth so that so I, I don't know. 
I don't know what's going on with this, with this VS. I'm not even going to look at you right now. Because um, it's going to drive you nuts, and you're not going to get it until either – you're either going to get it at the end of the book, or it's going to hit you like it did me about a half an hour after finishing reading the book. But there is are Cave Lake. Is or what? Well, is Cave what? Is Cave like her person? Is that who she's supposed to be with? No. 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 Theo, isn't it? Well, duh, of course it's Theo. Totally team Theo right here. <laughs> I don't know. I really like Cave. So I, like I, I would have been. And poor Bren. Like, no one even cares about Bren. I know. Well, I mean, Bren is kind of a douchebag. I'm going to say it. He's kind of a douche. I don't. He's sweet. Like, but he's too sweet. Unfortunately. He's Unfortunately, guys, guy like you, you don't want. Yeah, like you don't want the. You don't want the super. You don't want the jerk who like treats you like crap. Mm -hmm. But you don't want the uber nice guy who leaves voicemails of poetry on your phone because I'm sure that's sweet. And I, I know I'm contradicting myself because last week I was all about the voicemail poems. But, like, that gets old, I think. I would imagine. Yeah, it gets old. I'm, really I'm backtracking on my previous statement. Well, I'm the kind of girl who thinks, like, everyday stuff is romantic. Like, my husband remembering to DVR one of my favorite shows while I'm in class. That I found romantic. Um, giving me comic books for Valentine's Day. <laughs> That I totally found romantic. He gave me 12 Wonder Woman comics instead of roses. Much more romantic. Leaving me poetry, which I'm not a Sweet. poetry fan. I guess old after a while, but Bren, he reminds me of those guys. Those kind of, they're kind of almost toxic where they're super nice guys. They play the super nice guy. And... They do stuff that annoys the girl, and when the girl finally breaks up with them, they turn into the jerk. Where they're like, oh, I'm going to write a song about you, but it's not really about you because, you know, you're the bitch that broke my heart kind of thing. Um, they're just, yeah, they get kind of <laughs> passive-aggressive after the breakup, and he strikes me as that guy. And he's, all, he's probably complaining to his buddies, I was perfect, I did everything right, I don't know why she doesn't like me. Which, you know, sometimes it's like that stupid dating book. She's just not that into you. Sometimes that just happens. Sometimes she has sex with you and sees you off married to somebody else with kids. It happens. So, since I brought that up, let's discuss that sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> Your thoughts, Michelle? The which scene? Sorry. The sex scene. On which she, scene? Sorry. You're, the audio yeah. cut out for just a second. Yeah, she's oh, man. a whole other future for her boyfriend while she's doing him. No. That's, that, that was awesome at the same time. Like, if that's what brings around her, 
her premonitions. That's like, oh, damn, I need a premonition. <laughs> but, but, like, at the same time, how do you, okay, so she's obviously going to break up with Bren. And he's not the type who is just going to take, we're not meant to be together. He's going to want a reason and what brought this on. So how is she going to tell? Because the last time I had a video with your kids and your wife and your wife wasn't me. Yeah. That's so kind of, it sounds like I was the dude. I would sound made up to me. That would totally sound made up to me. I think she would come up with a better excuse in all honesty, even though she was being honest with him. Which is, you know, kudos to her for being honest with him. But that's something really hard to believe. And I think it also goes to show how he wasn't right for her. Because if he was actually right for her, he would give her the benefit of the doubt. Well, I mean, I don't know. Is that how she breaks up with him? Because I haven't gotten that far yet. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> I am sorry. Yes, that is how she breaks up with him. By telling him that I saw somebody else with you and it wasn't me. I thought because you said that. Diane. Huh? Diana. Spoilers. Dude, you said it. Spoilers. Do I need to rewind this? You are you said you I guess. <laughs> well, I'm not giving away a huge spoiler. We know that they're gonna well, end anyway. up together because they don't belong together because you saw that sex scene. Or you saw that sex scene. You read that sex scene. Yes, I know. That, I guess, okay, that was a pretty easy guess to make because we know that Simile wouldn't make something up. She would just tell him the truth. Right. So. Because our girl's honest. Yeah. Even if it gets her in trouble. But so everyone, keep reading, even mm -hmm. though we know how Simile breaks up with Bren. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. we're going to have... <laughs> We're going to have two next Thursday will be Diana and I obsessing over the book. Mm -hmm. um, and then Saturday uh, we will have our bonus episode with Liz, which will be a lot of fun. Um, that's going to be on a special time. The time is still being ironed out, so mm -hmm. stay tuned for that. Um, and I think that's it for this evening. That is it, but don't stop forget to remind everybody. So right now we've got a giveaway happening on Rafflecopter, and we uh, will tweet out and message out the uh, link again. But uh, Gwen has been wonderful. She is we're giving away, you get either a signed copy of The Fortune Teller or a signed copy of The Memory Painter. And you can enter in on um, Rafflecopter to be able to actually um, get an, for every, to get an entry, you have to either follow Gwen on Twitter like our Facebook page or subscribe to our page, our, our page, our, um, our YouTube channel. So yes, you, and you so can do all three and then you can have three chances. Yeah. Three chances to win a book. And so you get, we're doing one or the other this way. We can have two winners. Um, so each one's going to be drawn at random. Um, so yay. So subscribe, um, enter in and join us next week. Have a good night, everyone. Bye.